And the Medrash says that uh, finally one day the prince does show up and uh, the prince in wonderment asks the princess, you've been waiting for me this long, I can't believe that you waited for me this long. And the princess says, if, if to, t- to tell you the truth, I'm surprised myself that I was able to wait this long, right? that I was able to wait this long. So, but every time that I read the Ksuba and I read all the promises, I told myself that this is, it's impossible, right? It's impossible that you won't come back, right? So the Medrash goes on and the Medrash says that this is an analogy between God and the Jew, where God marries us as the prince that marries the princess, and then we do some things wrong, so God says, I have to leave, I can't stay in your midst, and the nations of the world would like to have us believe that he's not going to ever come back to us, and under the pressure of Gullus, we sometimes believe it and we cry about it. And then the Medrash says, the Medrash says, but when we go into our shuls and our houses of learning and we read the Torah, we get the strength from everything that it says in the Torah that it's impossible that God has forsaken us forever. And then the Medrash ends up and the Medrash says, and when the end of times will come and HaKadosh Baruch Hu will return to us HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself will be amazed at the amount of time that we were willing to wait for him to come back. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu will ask us where we got the strength to wait that long. And our answer will be the same thing, that in fact, there were many times where we were tempted to leave. And it was only the shul, and it was only the Beis HaKnesses where we had the Torah, and by the learning of Torah that we knew somewhere deep down that the relationship wasn't broken forever. So this is what the Medrash says. And this again brings across the point. In other words, there will be nothing that will be able to, to destroy the, God's argument about the difference, right? the basic difference in terms of the function, purpose, and potential of the Jew as opposed to what the rest of the world was doing throughout the thousands of years that this world was in existence. In terms of how the Jew was able to survive, cope, and remain loyal above all tragedy and all events of history. All right, let's go on. Another thing, another reason. It's either a fourth reason or a fifth, excuse me, either a fifth or a sixth reason. It's also conceivable that sometimes this person is a perfect tzaddik. Now, this is also a phenomenal reason. He says, but because he had the ability to help others and to teach others, and he chose only to develop himself, and not to be concerned with other people, he will then be responsible for all the wrongdoings of those people that he was able to correct. So sometimes you ask yourself, he's a tzaddik, he did every single mitzvah, he used to dive in five hours a day and everything else. The answer is that it was all what he did for himself. He had the ability to help others do mitzvahs and he had the ability to, help, to guide others away from their avayers and he didn't. And if he didn't, he can be held responsible for everything that they did. So sometimes the punishment that comes to the tzaddik is because he could have prevented others from doing Averis and he rather just went on his own way to develop himself and not to be concerned with others. This is a heavy one. It's not posh, it's not simple. It throws to a tremendous degree of responsibility to the degree that we feel or that we have the ability to do it for others. Kimashi Yadati Minyan Eli as we know about Eli and his children who are all priests, we know that the story of Eli and his sons was that Eli's sons, Eli's sons took advantage of the people that used to bring sacrifices 
and they used to take more meat than they were supposed to, and they even took it before it was properly sacrificed. And Eli himself was held responsible for it because he was in the position to reprimand his children and he did not reprimand them sufficiently. And the, the punishment for Eli and his children was that the kuhuna gedela, the, 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 the priesthood, the high priesthood, was taken out of his lineage to the point where he's promised by Samuel the prophet that there will come a time, there will come a time where he will have to beg for a piece of bread as a punishment for his taking advantage of the people earlier. Right? So again, the same idea, and the Chavos Avavos is saying that the primary reason why Eli was punished with such a thing, to know that his lineage would, would become so poor and would be so degraded, was because he didn't sufficiently reprimand his children. Right? These are all reasons. Now, there are an arena of more reasons than this, but as the Chavos Avavos said, I'll give you some of the reasons, but not necessarily all of them. Let's continue. Now, now we're going to the second half. Why is it possible that, that goodness could be, be, could be bestowed on an evil person? The second half of the question. It's conceivable that the Russia has a very good, has a very good time in this world. He has a very good time in this world because he did something, he did a mitzvah, he did something good, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to pay him for it. HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to pay him back for it. Now, what's the logic over here? So let's go a little bit further, and then I'll explain. God pays back his enemies directly and quickly in order to eventually make them be destroyed completely. Let me explain the logic that's behind this. You have a Russia, right? You have a Russia that basically was a, uh, didn't do a darn good thing in his life. But there is no person that doesn't do something right somewhere along the line, right? But basically, the person has been a bad person. Every once in a while, you know, every once in a while he's done something right. So, what HaKadosh Baruch Hu says is that being that this person was basically a bad person, so what he really needs more than anything else is he needs that in the world to come he has to go through a major overhaul, a spiritual overhaul. Right? So, but what do we do with his mitzvot? Right? His mitzvot, he will get his rewards for his mitzvot over here. We'll get his reward for his mitzvot over here. Now, the logic behind this is on two levels. The logic behind it is because that is the only, that is the only stuff that he understands. When he does something right, right, if you'll ask him what he wants in terms of a reward, the only thing that he can comprehend and the only thing that he can absorb in terms of a reward is a quarter pounder. He needs something physical, okay, because his life was basically a very physical life. He did a couple of good things right and you're going to pay him back with some kind of spiritual reward. He won't have any way to deal with it because his life was basically one that did not develop any kind of spiritual potentials. You'll give him a spiritual reward. It's going to be a waste of time. He said, for this I did the mitzvah. This is ridiculous. So in other words, being that he's that kind of a person, the only place that he can really, in essence, get paid back and that the payment should be a truthful payment for him and that he should then be dealt with in the way that he really lived his life is that he should get paid back for his mitzvot over here and then go through the 
critical cleansing process in the world to come. Right? And it's justified because that's the kind of a person he is. In other words, both in terms of the reward and both in terms of the punishment, that's the way you have to deal with him. His reward he can only understand in physical ways and his cleansing process has to be done in a very critically spiritual way. Right? So that's how it works. It's interesting that for the tzaddik it's the exact reverse. For the righteous person it's the exact reverse. The couple of averis that he does, God makes sure that he gets punished for them in this world to cleanse those few averos. And the reason for that is that he doesn't really deserve a critical punishment, a spiritual punishment, because that's not really him. He's really a very good person who has developed spiritual potentials. So he doesn't deserve to be deprived spiritually. So, so he gets his punishments in physical senses. And what he really, his true self, experiences the Olam Abba. In other words, the concept that lies over here is that the truest part of the person has the truest experience happened to him in Olam Haba. So if the truest part of the person is the good that he's developed, so then he has Olam Haba in the good way. If the truest part of the person is all the rottenness that he's done all his life long, so then he has to go through a process of spiritual purification in the afterlife. Right? And whatever else is, was not the integral part of this human being is paid back in this world. For the tzaddik, it's his averis, which are not his integral part, the transgressions that are not his integral part of his existence. And for the rasha, it's his mitzvahs that are not his, the, unfortunately, not his, the integral part of his existence. So those things are dealt with in this world. There's a, I know it's a joke, maybe we should just take a little bit of the heaviness out of this, but uh, there was once a very, very wicked person that never did anything right in his, in, in his life. And when he went upstairs, when he went upstairs, the um, there was a dispute if he should go into the into Gan Eden, into the Garden of Eden. This, mind you, this is only a joke. This is not Chavos Um He went into he he got. Um, there were those that argued that he should go into the Garden of Eden. Why? Because he had once given a nickel to a poor person in his life. So there was a whole fight, you know. The, the people in the Garden of Eden said he should come in here and, um, and because he gave tzedakah. We don't know how great the mitzvah of tzedakah is. And the people in Gehenim, the people on the other side where you, get, you, you go through the major overhaul were saying he belongs here. He worked all his life to get here. He belongs here. And there was a big raging dispute between the different people in Gan Eden and Gehenim where this guy belongs. So to resolve the problem, a voice came out of heaven and the voice said, give him, give him his nickel back and let him go to <laughs> So, in, in any case... Yes? This is another concept which the Chavos Halvavos himself doesn't talk about but Nachmanides, the Ramban, talks about the fact that sometimes it's possible for a person to have a difficult time, even though he's a tzaddik, because there are certain aspects of a former life that the soul lived in that have to be cleansed or developed in, a, in another life. This is another aspect. The Chavos Havavos does not touch upon this. This is called, this is in the language of the Ramban, this is called Said Ha'ibur, the concept of the Gilgal Hanashamos, from one life to the other life. And this is another reason that is given, especially in the, in the, in the case of people that die very young and children and uh, mental retardation and all kinds of handicaps and younger people, 
this is a reason that's given for those kind of circumstances where obviously some of these reasons do not apply in terms of role models or greater olam habas. I mean, a person that's totally retarded, uh, isn't, how is he going to get a great... He didn't develop spiritually in this world. How did he develop spiritually in this world? So there are other reasons. Again, I pointed out that these are only some of the reasons we have on a different class why the righteous suffer two types. We go through a more lengthy description of all the reasons. It's on the Jewish Thought series. But let's continue. I'd like to finish this. Sometimes the reason why the, the person that's bad has a lot of money and is very successful is because it's only another way in which God is preparing something for somebody that comes after him. In other words, it's very conceivable sometimes that a person works and builds up a tremendous business with millions of dollars and his whole success is because God knows that down the line it will be transferred to a more to a more proper source. So he does the work and ultimately somebody else can benefit from it. So when we see that the Russia, okay, that um, a, a bad person can be very successful, it can sometimes be, it can sometimes be. In other words, the first reason that we said is because of a mitzvah that he did, right? And the reward for any mitzvah can be tremendous. For one mitzvah, a person can have the right to become a millionaire. For one mitzvah that a person does, it's possible. Why do we find that tzaddikim don't become millionaires? Because they're getting the reward for their mitzvahs in, in the in Olam Haba. They're not getting them here. And, but for the Russia that does get the reward for his mitzvahs over here, it's conceivable that for a couple of mitzvahs he can get become a millionaire. That's one reason. The second reason that the Chovas Halvavis is now beginning to say is the idea that sometimes HaKadosh Baruch Hu makes him successful not because he deserves it, but because he becomes the link in making those resources available to somebody after him that would be worthy of it. So he does the work, he develops the whole idea, the whole thing gets going, and then it's left to somebody else. That's the second reason. The Efsher, Shetiyah Hasiba Hagdayla Shebesibas Meisei A third reason, and this reason we can all understand to a certain degree, is that sometimes what we classify as a person's blessing and why the, the, this Russia is being blessed so much is in fact not a blessing, but a hidden curse because in his attempts to build his multi-million empire, he destroys himself in very physical ways, right? either in terms of relationships or in terms of heart attacks, strokes, uh, ulcers, and all the rest. So it can just be a very hidden kind of curse where the person doesn't realize what he's doing to himself, where he's actually slowly killing himself. And he's doing it to himself, not realizing that he's doing it to himself, and it's a form of punishment where God actually gives the person the ability of killing himself for what he's done before. So we never know what we classify as blessing, if it's blessing in fact, okay, or if it's a hidden curse. And very often it can be that, but we're quick to say, oh, he's being blessed and why am I not being? You have to know what's truthfully a blessing. Now again, it's not the, that not, doesn't mean to say that every bad person that's rich, that this is the reason why he's rich, because it's a hidden curse. It could be a payment of a mitzvah. It could be that he's preparing it for somebody else. The Afsher in a fourth reason, Sometimes 
The Chavos HaVavah says sometimes it's conceivable that in a certain point in a person's life, the person's not worthy of all the richness that he has and all the blessing that he has. But God knows down the line that the person will correct himself and will become a better person. So God will give the person the opportunity of developing the blessings so that when the, he does correct himself, he will be able to benefit from it. In other words, it's conceivable that the person can hold on to something. And this is phenomenal. That a person can sometimes hold on to a blessing and the person doesn't have a right to draw forth from the fact that he has the blessing that he's deserving of it. It could very well be that God is giving him the blessing now because God hopes to see down the line that he will work himself in to be deserving of the blessing. So sometimes he doesn't have it today, but God says, I will give it to him today because he'll work himself into deserving it. It's possible. And very often in those circumstances, a person has to be very concerned if he's doing his maximum to become deserving of the blessing. So in other words, when a tremendous amount of blessing comes to the person, he has to be concerned, maybe it's a hidden curse, maybe God's trying to destroy me for something that I did, maybe he's trying to not destroy me, but punish me for something that I did it, maybe he's giving it to me as a test, and if I will prove good in the test, then it will stay, and then the third possibility is maybe I think I really deserve it. But a person never really knows if it's... There are ways of knowing more or less why. Okay, There are ways, the Chavos will talk about it. There are various ways of knowing. But there is always the concern that even if a person has blessing, are you guaranteed that you'll have it forever? Are you guaranteed that you deserved it? Maybe you were given it as a stimulus to become... to work harder to deserve it eventually. So a person always has to investigate the blessings that he has and ask himself the question, am I doing the most to hold on to these blessings? Right? This is another facet, the yesh. And then there is another aspect, shetia lechesed shekadam aviv. V'hayoroi lehetav levnoi b'avurek m'ashamu leyeu ben nashi b'nei rivein yesh v'lachal kisei yisra. V'ame m'salach betumei tzadik ashri banav achra v'ame narha yisvikam zakanti v'loi reisi tzadik nezav v'zarim v'vakish lachem. Another reason might be that the father or the grandfather of this person was a tremendously righteous person and he deserved the reward of knowing that his children and grandchildren will never, ha- never have a, a hard day in their lives. Now, you might ask the question, in other words, it's a reward not for the person, but it's a reward for that person's father or grandfather. Now, this doesn't mean to say that God doesn't even up the score with this guy. This, guy, this guy's score gets evened up eventually for what he's done in his life. The fact that his grandfather was a tzaddik and deserved that he should know that his son and his grandson and his great-grandson should always be millionaires and they should never have a day to worry, that's a blessing for the, you know, the grandfather, but it doesn't mean to say that he will not be held responsible for everything that he did, that grandson or great-grandson. It's just that God's way of dealing with him will not be necessarily in punishing him here because of the promise that he made to his father or grandfather. This is another possibility. uh, Another possibility. Very beautiful. Sometimes, now this is fascinating, sometimes God gives a wicked person a lot of success because by that it draws out the phonies. Now let me explain what I mean by that. There are some people that are really not truthfully honest people and righteous people. 
but they give the outwardly appearance of being righteous while inside they couldn't care less. On the outside they'll do all the mitzvot and behind closed doors they'll do all the averas. Now, when God gives success to people that are not righteous, so what will happen is that these people that are really phonies will begin to ask themselves the following question. Why do I have to give the appearance of being a tzaddik and all of this shtick? I could be a Russian and still be successful. So what it does is it tempts the phonies to act their true selves. And God wants that. God wants that the people that are phonies and give the impression of being tzaddikim while they're really not should really show their true colors. Why does God want that? Because when it comes to the time of punishment, if the rest of the world is under the impression that these people are tzaddikim, and then God punishes them, punishes them like the worst for Shoyim, so people will complain that God is not just. So God would prefer that they should show their true colors in order that when they will eventually get punished, people will not question God's justice. So what God does is, without making them sin, but God creates for them situations by which they are tempted to show their true colors. Now, it is then when the true color of the person shows. When you can see in front of yourself that you don't have to do any of this stupid shtick, quote-unquote, and still you can be successful, that's what separates the men from the boys. And the ones that are phonies drop everything, and the ones that are really, really honest and truthful about their commitment remain faithful under all circumstances. So it has the benefit of drawing out the phonies. It also has the benefit of clearing to it. And besides drawing out the phonies and showing the world who they really are, it also shows the tzaddik for what he really is. Okay? And that's what the Chavos HaVavos is saying. Now, it comes out here something fascinating. That sometimes a Russia can be successful and he can live on this world not even for his own benefit anymore but for the benefit of being able to draw out the phoniness of other people so that the world shouldn't complain then about God's justice. So he's becoming a tool for others. In other words, he's not, he's not even living anymore for himself, but he's living merely to be the tempting force that others should act what they really are. So he's in form like a Yetzirah. He becomes a Yetzirah for other people. Right? That's what's happening here. This human being is taking on the form and purpose. He's taking on purpose and function similar to that of the Yetzirah. Right? In as much as he becomes a tempting force to bring out qualities in a person. Now, I might point out that Rav Desla says when he discusses this concept of the Chavos Habavos, he says that this is a very extreme situation. It's only after the person ceases to function in any purposeful role of his own development, that he might still stick around for, the, for other purposes of other human beings. So it's only, an ex- in other words, it's after he ceases to function in terms of his own, in other words, when there's no hope for him, at least this time around, to, to straighten himself out, he might live on in this world as an, a, temptating, uh, a temptation force for others. In other words, in the process of other people bringing out their true colors. Right? So it is an extreme situation. It's, uh, it's not, uh, in other words, when you have extremely wicked people that still stay around, they're there for the test. They're to bring out the phoniness of the phony and they're there to bring out the loyalty and the faithfulness of the righteous. 
In other words, they're not existing for themselves anymore, but they're existing for others. Right? Let's just finish up this idea. And we will see the one that is truly consistent and faithful okay, in his worship, the Sivle, when he tolerates when they take advantage of him, and they shame him. And he will receive tremendous reward for having to be in this situation. As we know, history proves itself with Elio and Izevel and Yirmiyo with the kings of his generation. Now, I'd like to point out, just when, before completing this, this is the end of his discussion of why the righteous suffer and why bad people sometimes have such a good life. There is another aspect to which he hints to, which is hidden in the translation, and you don't see it in the translation the way, but it's in those words, and that is that sometimes God has... Um, what's called in vitamins, I forgot, a timed release. In vitamins, it's called timed release. Right? What I mean by that is that sometimes God's reward to the righteous and God's punishment of the, of the wicked has the concept of a time release, which means that God doesn't necessarily immediately reward the person or immediately punish the person. Right? Now, there's a reason for this. The reason for this is, assuming that God would want to, uh, to reward the tzaddik here or give him not his essential reward but what he deserves to be able to live comfortably and he would want to give the Russia some punishment in this world for what he's done but sometimes God there's the time release system the concept in the time release system is were it to be that God would punish the tzaddik, Russia immediately after he did something wrong and immediately reward the tzaddik after he did something correct there would come a point where there would be no free will left. In other words, the tzaddik would wake up in the morning, he would put on tefillin. He would open up his front door and he would find a $100 bill on his front step to buy breakfast, an expensive breakfast. The rasha would get up in the morning and skip his tefillin and twist his ankle going down the steps. And every single day that that would happen, it would be the same. In some way or another, the minute I would do a mitzvah, I would be rewarded. The minute I would do an Avera, I would be punished. There would come a point where there would be no free will. I would do the mitzvahs because I know there would be rewards. I would not do the Averas because I knew there would instantly be punishment. The way the Menorah Hamar says it, I wouldn't do an Avera because it would be the same thing like telling me that I can stick my hand into a fire and nothing would happen to it. That's how clear it would become. So therefore, there's a time release system on reward and punishment in order to create a situation in which a person has or he believes he has choice. In other words, where he thinks, I can do it this way, I can do it that way. And God wants that the person should have free will because that's ultimately the way he develops. So were God to instantly punish and instantly reward, the whole system of free will would be, would be meaningless after a certain point. So this is another reason that the Chovos HaVavos is hinting to. And he's hinting to it by saying this idea that he lets the Rasha have a good time and it brings out the phony, but it tests the, the person that's faithful. What does it mean? In other words, because it is not instantly being reward in and of itself that creates the arena of free will. What's going on here? In other words, what's going on here? A person can ask himself, should I be the Tzaddik, should I be the Rasha? And he can't answer himself that if I'm be, I'll be a tzaddik, everything's going to go right, and if I'll be a rush, everything's going to go wrong. He can't say that to himself. 
Why can't he say that to himself? Because it isn't that way. Why isn't it that way? Because God doesn't want it to be that way because they wouldn't be free will. In other words, what the Chavos HaVavos is saying is that God sometimes confuses the issue simply so that the person should have to make his own choices rather than to have external factors forcing him to behave in one way. Right? That's what he's pointing out here. Now I'll take the question. Oh. Right. See, what you have to do in these kinds of situations is, see, he only said three, four reasons on each side of the fence. There are many more reasons that have to be dealt with. And it's very difficult. See, this is, this is the point at which, in other words, are there answers why the righteous suffer? Are there answers why good things happen to bad people? There are answers. But to know which one or combination of which ones are the answer in any particular case, this is already playing God. It's very difficult to, un- to know. In other words, if we wouldn't have uh, an, are- in other words, uh, an array of answers, then it would disturb our faith. Then we would have problems with our faith. But knowing that we do have a whole bunch of answers, to know which one in particular was the answer in any one circumstance, that's not so crucial anymore. The crucial thing is to know that there are answers. What the particular answer is, is in the situation of Hitler with the Holocaust, I would say, I would say, See, you have to deal with it from both sides. You have to deal with it from the side of the victim. You have to deal with it from the side of the one that perpetrated the crimes. Okay, and I would say that in the situation of the Holocaust, it was most probably a combination of every single factor that exists on both sides of the fence. I would say that there are situations on, you know, another, certainly in Sadik Virali, certainly in the side of why righteous suffer, most probably in the, in, there was a combination of every single factor that the Chavos HaVavos talks about and the ones that we've spoken about outside of the Chavos HaVavos' reasons, which there are numerous other ones in terms of Gilgulim and in terms of, other, in terms of other ways that God deals with his world, which we deal with on those tapes. So I would say that it's a combination. And in each person's case, it might be a different reason or a combination of a few reasons together. In other words, any one reason might not have been sufficient, but a combination of reasons. That's the point where the, those fine points are not indispensable. To know that there's a, there's a method to what's happening, that's indispensable. But to know what the combinations are necessarily, that's already much more difficult. I'm not saying that people are not able for themselves to try to understand some of it. But for me to decide why something happened to another person, okay, that's totally out of my realm. That's totally out of my realm. I mean, you know, I can think that the person's a tzaddik and the person to himself can say, listen, I, I know that I'm not the tzaddik. Maintain that he is. He was, rather. And uh, what he always used to say is, he says, I know what this is coming for. I know what this is coming for. In other words, it's not something that I, that I, you know, that I can talk to you about and that it's even within my... Uh, permission to discuss, but I know what, why this is happening to me. And, it's, and all, without telling you what it is, I want you to know that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is Tzadik V'yasha. That HaKadosh Baruch Hu is right in what he's doing. I mean, so that shows you right away that we don't have the ability to judge other people. We don't have that ability to judge other people. 
we can try to tackle with it on a personal level and things that happen in our own lives, but ultimately we have to have a tremendous amount of education in terms of what's expected of us before we make that kind of an analysis even of ourselves, right? In terms of what we've done, what we haven't done, what we were expected to do, what we are not necessarily expected to do, depending where we're coming from. There, there's a lot of things that go even into a personal analysis that are necessary to be knowledgeable of before one could do something like that. Okay, now, let's just try to finish up here. It's getting late. <coughs> now, the Kivan, and this is a very interesting and fascinating thing here. The Kivan says, Barachi of Hagilgal al al Bnei Adam, Nevayar Atta ki enkol Adam chayav laksar al kol Siba, Nisibas hatarif ki asibas rabbis. Now, he's saying something fascinating. So he says that we, we've gone through the reason why we have to go through circumstances in order to make our livelihood. And we've also explained why it's conceivable that though a person is a tzaddik, he can have a very tough time making his parnasa. Now he wants to end off this topic of why it's sometimes difficult to make parnasa. He wants to end off this topic and he wants to say that being that there are millions of possibilities in terms of what a person should do in order to make his livelihood, how does he make the decision? How does he, in other words, accepting the fact that we do have to work through circumstances for the reasons that he gave before and knowing that sometimes it can be very difficult based upon the discussion of Tzadik Baralai, Rasha Vataivlai, after everything is said and done, how does a person make a decision as to what area or what field he should be going into for those hours of the day that he has to be involved in the circumstances of existence? the circumstances to make to bring home the dollar to put the bread on the table. How does he make that choice? So he points out that basically there's a breakdown in terms of two kinds of work. There's one kind of work which is more physical in nature and there's one kind of work that's more brainy in nature. In other words, there are the, 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 there's the kind of work that a person is more engaged <coughs> in physical activity if you're in the moving business. Okay? There isn't too much brains involved in the moving business other than learning how to maneuver out a piece of furniture out of a, a door 20 inches wide or something like that. But it's basically physical in nature. And then there are other jobs which are more, more brainy in nature. You know, like if you write, if you write uh, programs for software or if you're involved in giving people advice as a psychologist or a psychiatrist might be, so there's no physical labor that's involved there. There, it's more a question of mind. So the Chovas Havavah says <coughs> that the first thing that the person should try to honestly assess himself in is to try to determine for himself is he, will he be more apropos and make a more meaningful contribution by virtue of his mind or by virtue of his physical abilities and talents. In other words, where in other words, where is my strength and where is my weakness? Is my strength in my hands and feet and the weakness in the mind or vice versa? Where is it? Now, I don't mean weakness, but I mean, in other words, where am I more? In other words, there's some people that are just more cut out to move furniture and there are more, some people that are more cut out to become mathematicians. I mean, it's, it's just, people are just cut out differently. So the first crucial decision that the person has to make is what am I more cut out for? In other words, am I more cut out to be working with my hands and feet or any other part of my body? That's what I should be doing. Now, and well, now, when the person makes that decision, 
it's reasonable for him to expect that if he has made an intelligent choice based upon which one he is more cut out for that he will with bitachon be successful to be able to put bread on his table in other words if a person refuses to look at himself honestly yeah, let's say a person is more cut out for physical labor and he says well physical labor is not as respected in the world as labor that's done with one's mind Right? So it's not as well respected. So even though I know that I'm more cut out for physical labor and I don't have too much in my upper story to be dealing with these brainier kind of things, but I want to be what people would like me to be or what people would expect me to be. And therefore he decides to take a job that's more in the area, more in the area of, of brainy things instead of physical things. So he says if things go wrong for him and he can have the biggest bitachan in the world, okay, since he's stubborn and he has fit himself into a spot that he doesn't belong in he's going to be making his life miserable for himself so in other words even though bitachon is a very powerful thing but it works within a context it works within a structure and the first preliminary to that structure is that you have to be able to identify what you're more suited for what you're more fitted for Right? And based upon making that intelligent choice, you can then hope within the context of a trust relationship that you will find the bread on your table from that endeavor that you've chosen for yourself. That's one thing that the Chalvas Havava says. The second aspect that the Chalvas Havava is saying, I'm saying it in brief, I'm not saying it inside, so we should be able to finish it up. The second aspect that he says is after making the distinction between physical labor or more in, intelligent kind of an endeavor, even within each one of those fields, there are many choices. Right? You can pick up garbage, you can become a mover, you can, be, you can sculpture things, you can paint things. Those are all things that, though they take a certain amount of mind, but obviously they're involved in physical things as well. And within the arena of things that do with the mind, there are also a, a whole arena of choices. There are a whole arena of choices that can be made, correct? So, how do you decide past that point? So the Chavos HaVavos says something very fascinating. He says that the person should try to do the thing that he likes to do. This is what the Chavos HaVavos says. He says, in other words, a person is born with a liking or with a leaning towards doing certain things over other things. And the very fact that he, he's born with a liking for doing certain things over other things means that when he was created, he was created very conceivably with the potentials and with that in mind. In other words, keeping, in other words, the fact that one person is born and he has, he has an eye and he's very keen on painting might very well mean why was he born with such a desire and with such a feeling. If it's something that really comes from within, not something that somebody's expecting of me, but something that's coming from within, it's a natural tendency. It's like the instincts that were given to animals, the Chalvat HaVavah says, in order to, for them to survive. They were given certain instincts. Okay? And they are put into him as part of his survival. Or the very structure of the different human beings, of the different animals, excuse me, one with the long beak, one with the short beak, one with the ability to fly very swiftly, one to, with the ability to fly very low, one to fly very high, one made with horns, one with, made without horns. And it was all designated from the very beginning for the survival and the existence of this animal. So the Chavos HaVavah says the human being is the same. There are basic instincts that were put into the human being that are there for that person's existence and for his day-to-day -day existence and they do become 
defining factors as to how I should decide what I should be doing in terms of, of my parnasa. So a person says, well, I would like to do this. I'm keenly interested in this. I have a talent in this area. So the Chavos Havavos says, that's not secular in, 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 in thought, to, that a person should make his decision that way. That's very spiritual in thought, that the person should make his decision that way. Because the talent and the leanings that the person has were set into the person from the very beginning, and you've got to keep your ears open, and you have to be sensitive to those talents, because those were the talents that were given to you that you should be using them. And it's a very fascinating idea that the Chavos HaVav is saying. It's very real, very realistic. And then the Chavos HaVav continues and he finishes off the chapter by saying that after you figure out your job, which category, and within the category, which particular job that you would want, then you approach the issue with all the elements of trust that we've discussed up to this point. And he says sometimes it will go good and sometimes it will go bad. It will, you don't have a guarantee that it will always be good, but you at least have the, the equipment that's necessary to be able to cope with the, with the low points in the Parnassa. And you should say to yourself, the same God that created me and that determined the exact time that I should be coming into this world and what I should be doing has also determined when my Parnassa should be better and when my Parnassa should be wrong. Not so good. And God has a reason. In other words, the same God that created me, the same God that put me into this position, the same God that gave me these talents and things, wanted that at this point in my life I should be successful, at this point in my life things shouldn't go as well as I would like them to go, and he he must have a reason for them. And that's the way, basically, to deal honestly. It's not just a psychological coping, but this is the honest truth in terms of how the person should be realizing the events that are happening in his life. And then the Chovas Havavis ends off with a, another concept which is very interesting. And the Chovas Havavis says something here and it's, it, I think it's very worthwhile. He interjects here something that's very beautiful. He says, and in all the sibos, and in all the circumstances that the person is engaged in, this should be his attitude. His attitude should be that God wanted that the world should run with these circumstances. And God wanted that people should be involved in all different segments of the economy because it's from the total of all the different segments of the economy that we have a world as we know it. And a person should think to himself that he's doing, the mitz- doing everything that he's doing with his work, not just to put a piece of bread into his stomach, but that he's doing it because this is the way that God wanted him to develop, and God wanted that he should contribute his part towards the world's development. Yeah. All right? So the Chavos HaVavis is interjecting something here that's very beautiful. In other words, the attitude that I should take towards my parnas is not that it's just a way of getting something down my throat but the attitude that I should have is that whatever I'm going to be doing I'm doing it because this is what God wants me to do God wants me to develop along this line He wants me to develop with this kind of parnas with these kind of circumstances with these kinds of tests this is what He wants and I'm doing this parnas and I'm doing this parnas because I know that this is the way what God wants me to do and into that he should also put the element that what he's doing is in some way a contribution to the world. Right? Now, if a person is machavin l'shem shamayim, in other words, if the person is machavin that what he's doing over here he believes to be for his ultimate growth as God has designated that this is the way that he should grow and that he's doing it for the benefit not of himself but for he's, had, he's contributing to the rest of mankind he will be successful in his trust. In other words, after everything is said and done, 
there's another component in Bitachan, and that is to do it L'Shem Shemayim. In other words, to do it knowing that I'm doing this because Hashem wants me to do it this way, not because I want to do it this way, I want to ha- have it this way, but to do it because this is what Hashem, this is, the, this is what Hashem is expecting of me. Right? This is what Hashem is expecting of me, this is what Hashem wants for me, this is what Hashem wants from me for the benefit of the rest of the world. Right? And this is where the person takes up his place in society and his attitude towards his parnasa. This, with the elements of trust, the Chalvah says, is the perfect blend that God expects of the person that's walking the spiritual ladder with his involvement in Parnassah. It's fascinating how the Chalvah shows how Yiddishkeit, how Judaism, does not deny the human being, but is trying to bring out the entire human being. In other words, it's not denying any part of the human being or his talents or his potentials or anything, but really trying to bring them out really trying to bring them out and putting them into focus in terms of where he fits into society as a whole. Okay, we'll have to stop here and in the next semester we'll deal with the specific applications of bitachon to seven areas of the person's life in terms of his own existence, in terms of his business, in terms of his relationships with his wife, children, associates, friends and enemies. That's a third category then his attitude in terms of the mitzvot that he needs other people to help him with or that are only done with others, the mitzvot that he can do even independently of others, how should he be feeling in terms of his bitachon and mitzvot. And then the final two areas are the bitachon that he has in terms of his rewards to Olam Haba and his bitachon in getting things that he might not even deserve from HaKadosh Baruch So those seven areas, in other words, all of the most practical applications in day-to-day life that's what we'll deal with in the next semester.